thanks, Nath. It's always good to be back here at Bridgie and uh, just love the fellowship here, absolutely do. Um, thanks for the promo for the college, by the way. Um, just a quick word about the college. Look, I did not see enough hands here this morning. At first service, it was like almost, well, I was going to say half, but that's a slight exaggeration. But, but listen, um, it is always a blessing when people come and study with us and we're already taking enrolments for next year. And uh, look, honestly, there's barely a week goes by where I do not get some feedback from students who want to tell me about the ways in which God has been at work in their lives, the way in which God has challenged them and taken them and used what they have learned to see the advance of the kingdom of God. Just the other week, I had one of my students who'd been studying by uh, distance in my, my course of study on ministry in Islamic settings. And at the bottom of his assignment, he said, oh, by the way, you just might like to know that since starting this unit of study, I've had the privilege of leading three of my Muslim friends to faith in Jesus Christ. And I thought, Lord, how good is this? I mean, seriously, you know, I, I sat there at my computer, I got tears rolling down my cheeks and thinking, Lord, what a privilege is this? And so I want to encourage you, uh, you could come and you could uh, sign up and do my Old Testament overview class. Uh, I know a bunch of you have done that one. Uh, or you could do my missions class, or we've got Dan Patterson, who's doing uh, Christian apologetics. So um, anyway, just a word of encouragement there. And at that point, I'm going to stop the promo and get on to the message. Um, dear Pastor Nathan, uh, he contacted me, first of all, about coming and doing this overview of Joshua, which I absolutely love doing. And uh, Jody said it sort of feels like going you know, back into Old Testament class again. But um, that was great. And then he said, oh, will you come and, and speak one Sunday? I said, yeah, that'll be fine. And so he said, look, can you preach from um, Joshua chapter 7? And I'm thinking, all right. And he said, oh, and by the way, uh, it's our Thanksgiving service. I thought, now this is going to be really interesting um, because if you know Joshua 7, I hope you've read it, um, it's about the sin of Achan. I'm thinking, wow, we're going to find this really interesting. Uh, as it turned out, um, Nathan later contacted me and said, oh, look, we've pushed back the, the Thanksgiving service till a week later, but I reckon this passage is a really good lead-in. One way or another, it's a good lead-in. You know, I love it where in Psalm 92, it says, it is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and to sing his praises. One of the things Wendy and I always love about coming back here to Bridgie is we love joining in singing God's praises with you. You people do it like nobody else, you know, seriously. Uh, and we absolutely love it. It is a good thing to give thanks to the Lord and not just when we gather together of a Sunday, but to make this part and parcel of the very warp and woof of our lives, that we, we live a life of constant gratitude and thankfulness to God. Sometimes that's not easy. But it's a good thing to give thanks to the Lord. But you know, as we come to Joshua chapter 7 today, it comes off the back of Joshua chapter 6, surprise, surprise. Joshua chapter 6, as we get to the end of Joshua chapter 6, it seems that there was a season of great celebration and praise and thanks to God. What had happened? Well, in the previous chapter, chapter 6 there, they had fought the incredible battle of Jericho. Remember that? I mean, it was a crazy battle, crazy battle plan that God had given to them. And yet they'd gone and in obedience to God, they'd done it as God had said, march around the city once every day for seven days, go back to camp once every day for seven days. On the seventh day, go around it seven times. And then shout, blow the trumpet, and God performed an absolute miracle. And they had the most stunning and astounding victory 
over what was probably the most fortified city of the ancient Near Eastern world. Can you imagine that they wanted to give thanks and praise to God? I reckon they would have. In fact, at the end of chapter 6, it says in verse 27, So the Lord was with Joshua and his fame spread throughout the land. What a glory celebration that must have been. But then as we start into chapter 7, we discover something's gone wrong. There is something, in fact, two things that have happened that have formed a blockage to God's future blessing upon the nation of Israel. And we're introduced to the first of those blockages to God's blessing right away in chapter 7, verse 1. And it is what I call the sin of self-entitlement. Look at what it says. But the Lord... But rather the Israelites acted unfaithfully in regard to the devoted things. Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zimri, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took some of them. What? The devoted things. So the Lord's anger burned against Israel. Now what has happened? Here's this guy called Achan and what had happened was that he had decided to take some of the spoils of the battle of Jericho for himself. And this was in direct contravention to everything that God had said. In fact, in chapter 6 and verse 18, God had said, but keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise... You will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. Keep away from the devoted things. What's the devoted things? There's a lovely word that's used there in the Hebrew for devoted things. It's a good throat clearer. It's called haram, all right? Haram. And the, the word basically speaks about those things that were to be set aside, dedicated to God, and in most cases, dedicated to destruction. And God said, don't touch them. Don't touch anything of the spoils of the battle. It doesn't belong to you. Keep your sticky fingers off it. But as we'll see a little later, Achan, in the midst of the battle, had developed this uncontrollable urge to take something that did not belong to him. Something that he had no right to. And as a result, as a result of this one man's sin, the whole of the nation of Israel would suffer. Hey, here's lesson number one. We can never afford to kid ourselves that our sin only touches us. Time and time again, when we sin, our sin has long stretching implications that impact upon the lives of others around about us. You know, when I was in school, I, uh, I probably had too much fun uh, and wasn't all that particularly interested in study. In fact, I didn't really learn to study till I, I started theological studies. And that's where I really developed a passion to study. But I remember in year 12, we were studying a piece by a fellow by the name of John Donne. And it had a little line in it that says, no man is an island complete in himself. Any of you remember that, that line? 
Some of you, I see a few heads nodding, some not really quite sure. No man is an island. And, and basically, my English teacher tried to point out to us that what it meant was that none of us live in absolute isolation. Our lives keep intersecting and impacting upon those who are around about us. And I want to tell you, the same is true when it comes to our sin. No matter how deeply hidden we may think our sin is, that no one else has seen it and we can get away with it and it doesn't matter, the Word of God reminds us that our sin has far-reaching implications. But there was a second blockage to blessing. The second blockage to blessing comes actually in verse 2 of chapter 7 and it says, Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Beth-Avon, to the east of Bethel, and told them, go up and spy out the region. So the men went up to spy out Ai. What we discover in that little verse is what I call the sin of self-reliance. You see, off the back of the euphoria of the incredible victory over Jericho, an unprecedented victory, what we discover here is that there is not even the slightest suggestion that Joshua seeks the wisdom and direction of God. In fact, he simply presumes now that he can just send off spies to Ai. I mean, surely that's what they did when they they fought the battle of Jericho. They sent the spies in. And so he just presumes that, you know, you've got this now, Joshua. You just go ahead and do it. Send out the spies. You, You know how to do this thing. And you see, He had fallen for the age-old lie of Satan, which is the mantra of the age in which we live. You've got this. Don't we hear that everywhere? You got this, you got this, you got this. Listen, that is the antithesis of the gospel. If you got it, there was no need for Jesus to come. But the problem is you and I haven't got it. When it comes to our sin, we have not got it at all. We've got no way of being made right with God. We desperately need a saviour. And indeed, even when it comes to serving God, we have not got this in and of ourselves. We need God. We need the direction of God. If in fact, we are going to serve him faithfully and well. What a temptation for Joshua to suddenly think, man, I think I got this thing nailed. I got this. I know how to do it. So what was going to be the solution to the the two major blockages to blessing for the nation of Israel? Well, the first thing was to deal with the matter of sin. You know, I suspect that too easily we are inclined to downplay the seriousness of our sin. Too easily we're inclined to suggest to ourselves that our sin is really not such a big deal and in fact it's not really hurting anybody else. It's not, it's not impacting anybody else. In fact, I can keep it so closely hidden, no one even needs to know about it. Too easily we, we justify our sin by looking around and saying, look, everybody else is doing it, you know, and it's, it's not such a big deal. But the fact is, in the eyes of God, sin is... Sin is an incredibly big deal. And the message of Joshua 7 is that God takes sin seriously. And so what happens? Well, Joshua had sent up 3,000 men against the city of Ai. 
according to the advice of the spies. But what do we discover? Well, in verse 4, we discover that the 3,000 men went up. They were thoroughly routed by the men of Ai, who killed 36 of them. And now Joshua is in absolute despair. God, what's gone wrong? Well, he has the good sense. The first response that he has to do is to pray. I'm encouraged by that. But as he begins to pray, listen to his prayer there in verse 7. He begins to pour out his heart to God. And he says, oh, sovereign Lord, why did you ever bring this people across the Jordan to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us? Oh, if only we had been content to stay on the other side of the Jordan. Do you ever find yourself having those kind of prayers to God where you're kind of almost bleating to God, oh God, why? Why have you let this thing happen? Well, at least he got it right that he needed to pray. But he begins to pour his heart out to God and God responds to him. Listen to what God has to say to him in verse 10. It says, the Lord said to Joshua, stand up. What are you doing with your face on the ground? Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken of the devoted things, and they have stolen and have lied, and they put them in their own possessions. God says, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you what the blockage is to blessing. Israel has sinned, and you're going to need to do something about it. Just a little aside. What was the sin of Achan? The sin of Achan was one of self-entitlement. Hey, I can, I can snitch this stuff. No one's going to know. I can take it for myself. And I want to tell you that again and again, we can so easily find ourselves guilty of the sin of self-entitlement. Where we think we can take to ourselves what does not belong to us. And I want to say, for those of us who are in leadership, it can so easily be the sin of seeking to steal some of God's glory and some of his fame. Because we become so well practiced in doing all the upfront stuff and speaking in front of people and doing all the stuff that we do that we kind of want some of the glory to be reflected back to us. And God says, Keep your fingers off it, belongs to me. And too easily we can begin to make ministry even more about me than it is about God. Keep your sticky fingers off it. You see, the fact is, if you are a child of God, everything you are and everything you own and everything you hope for actually belongs to God. He has the right to everything about your life. love the way the Apostle Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he doesn't mince words. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18, he says, Flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside their body, but the one who sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. Is it just possible? Is it just possible the way that we use our bodies is actually a, an, 
an evidence of our sin of self-entitlement. I can do with my own body whatever I want to do. If you're a child of God, no, you can't. You belong to God. You have been bought with a price. We've been commanded that we must glorify God with our body, with all that we are. And so God says to Joshua, make this sin in the camp and you're going to have to deal with it. So who was it? How's Joshua to know? And so God gives him a very clear indication as he works his way down through the 12 tribes of Israel to the clans, to the families and to the very man who was responsible for bringing all of this trouble on Israel. And finally, Achan is called out. You might see what Joshua says to him in verse 19. Then Joshua says, My son, give glory to the Lord, the God of Israel, and give him the praise. Tell me, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. Can you imagine how Achan's feeling right at this point in time? Standing in front of all of the leaders of Israel and being forced now to bring his confession. But you know, as he brings his confession, in verse 20, we get such an incredible insight into the very nature of sin. Listen to what he says. He says, it's true. I've sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I've done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them and they are hidden in the ground inside my tent. Hey, do you see something of the process of sin there? The process of sin, the well-worn process of sin, as we see it all throughout the scriptures, so typically goes in this fashion. It's to look, it's to lust or to covet, it's to take and then it's to hide. And going back to the very first sin there in the Garden of Eden, as Adam and Eve are tempted by the serpent, we see exactly the same process unfolding. Listen to what it says in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. It says, when the woman, that is Eve, saw looked at the fruit of the tree that it was good for food and pleasing to the eyes and also desirable, and that's the self-same word for covet, it was desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some of it and ate it and then she gave it to her husband who was with her and then down in verse 8 we're told that they both went and they sought to hide from the very presence of God. Hey, do you recognise something of that self-same process of sin at work in your own life? So often we can be, we can be just seduced into to just extending that look. I often say to young men, be careful guys, because it's often the second look that turns to lust. Don't mess with it. We need to be awfully careful. Sometimes we can think to ourselves, we've gotten away with it, so no one else knows, no one else sees. But I want to tell you, God sees. The writer of Hebrews puts it so clearly for us. In Hebrews 4 and verse 13, it says that nothing is hidden from God's sight. Everything is laid open and bare before the one to whom we must give an account. See, the problem is, folks, you and I can never hide a single thing from God. 
he actually sees it all. And the tragedy, in so many ways in Joshua 7, is that Achan was to discover the reality of what we read in Romans 6 and 23, and that is simply this, that the wages of sin is death. And here in Romans 6 and 23, it's not just talking about physical death, but it's talking about our spiritual death, our alienation from the very life and heart of God. Praise God. This is the reason that we need the good news, isn't it? The good news of the gospel, that there is one who came and he actually stepped into my place and he died in my place on the cross. He took the punishment that all of my sin rightly deserved. He died, as Peter says, the just for the unjust in order that he might bring us to God. He dies in my place. He's been raised to life again so that in the place of my spiritual death, he might give me the extraordinary gift of eternal life. How, how, do we, how do we find this? How do we find this wonderful relief from the guilt and the burden of our sin? The scriptures make it abundantly clear it is both through confession and repentance of our sin. There is no other way for it, folks. Remember 1 John 1 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and he will actually cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He'll deal with a lot of it. Praise God that there is an answer to our sin, to the sin of self-indulgence that so easily infects the heart of every one of us. But I want to say to you today, the message of Joshua 7 reminds us that God does not trifle with sin. Sin is a big deal in the eyes of God. Praise God, he's made a provision for my sin and for yours. Hey, but what of Joshua's sin of self-reliance? How could that possibly be restored? Have a look at chapter 8 and verse 1. There's a monumental shift in chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai. Suddenly now, suddenly now we see a, a humbled Joshua listening for the voice of God. Seeking the direction of God recognising that if they were to enter into all of the richness of the future blessing that God had for them, they needed to remove the blockages to the blessing. And one of those things was to listen again for the voice of God. You see, no amount of past blessing, no amount of wonderful experience of God's past riches towards us is going to be enough to carry us into the future of the blessing that God has prepared if we are not prepared to listen for the voice of God. There's no shortcuts to it, folks. We have got to be committed to listening for the voice of God. Because God is the one. God is the one who's already set the agenda. God is the one who knows 
the richness and the fullness of all that he wants to pour out upon his people. Our problem is so often we kind of want to set the agenda of blessing for ourselves. We kind of think we can map out what the blessing should look like. No, God says, I've got that deal. I know what the blessing is. And indeed, years later, when God's people were carried off into Babylonian exile because they had refused to listen to the voice of God, God writes to them through his servant, the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29 and verse 11, God says, listen, I know the plans that I have for you. They are plans for your good and not for your harm. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Don't you try and chart your own passage for future blessing. I know the plans that I have. What a wonderful reminder we get then in Psalm 27, where we're told then to wait on the Lord. Oh, wait on the Lord, I say. Wait on the Lord. And I reckon that's one of the biggest challenges for every one of us as we press ahead in our Christian life and experience. We all long to know what it is to have a blessed life, a life of meaning and of purpose, a life of fulfilment. We all want to know what it is to have a a song of praise welling up in our hearts and bubbling off from our lips. We all want to know what that is, but we will never find that place in the place of self-indulgence, self-reliance and self-entitlement. You see, folks, we've, we've got to be prepared to deal with sin. And the moment it rears its ugly head yet again in our life, we've got to be prepared to deal with it. We, we can't just kind of keep our little catalogue of sins in the back file, thinking that it doesn't really matter and nobody else needs to know. We've got to deal with it. We've got to once again be prepared to humbly wait upon God, to listen for his voice. And to follow his lead in order that we might know the richness of the blessing that he so longs to pour out on his people. You know, in the book of Deuteronomy, uh, for those who have done my Old Testament class, you remember that the book of Deuteronomy is made up of three sermons from Moses. All right? Toward the end of Deuteronomy, you get Moses giving the last of these sermons and listen to what Moses has to say to these people in chapter 30. I set before you today... Life and prosperity, death and destruction. Verse 19, this day I call heaven and earth to witness against you that I've set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. And then he says, oh, oh, that you would choose life. And my prayer for you, as it is for me, that we would actually choose the path of life. And the path of life comes through that steady, relentless recognition of our need for continuing confession and waiting upon God. Now, I'm so thrilled to hear about your Thursday plans coming together to wait upon God. Oh, look, honestly, the Lord has blessed this church in incredible ways over the years. It has been an absolute delight to watch. God has poured out his blessing in so many ways. But listen, You can't afford to drop the ball even for a moment. Because if you're going to know the richness of all the blessing that God yet intends to pour out his agenda for blessing through 
the life and witness of this church, it'll only come as you are prepared to deal with sin and be utterly committed to God, to hear his voice. And that's my prayer for you. It's my prayer for me, folks. Because when we come before him, we come before the God who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or even begin to imagine. Oh, dear God, teach us to be a people who know what it is to wait on you and to hear your voice. You join us, we pray. Heavenly Lord, Oh, Lord, we confess it too easily. We, we have made little of our sin. We have tried to, to minimise it as if it wasn't such a big deal. We've tried to justify it. We've tried to excuse it instead of actually dealing with it. Instead of coming before you in humble brokenness and repentance, Lord, forgive us, we pray. Lord, give us a holy abhorrence for sin. But Lord, beyond that, we pray that you'll give us a heart that yearns to hear the voice of God, that we'll know what it is to wait upon the Lord, to hear your voice and to step forward in confidence and faith and obedience and to know that you are the God who is able to do the immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or even begin to imagine. And it won't be about us, Lord, but it'll be about you. It'll be about your glory and your honour, and your fame, and your name, and the blessing of others. And so, Lord, we seek your gracious touch on our lives today. We seek your blessing not merely for our own sakes, but we seek your blessing that we may, in fact, then become the conduit of your blessing into a needy world. That we would be the people of God who hold forth the word of life in the midst of a dark, crooked and and perverse world that desperately needs the light and life of Jesus. Lord, please use us. Please, we pray, use us for all of your good purposes. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.